Welcome to the FNRAD Snowboarding Podcast. I'm Eric Charlson. Wow, this is a great way to climb mountains and come down, you know. For our reception, our Vulcan buddies brought acid. I was dropping in and snaking people and causing shit. And I remember calling on the radio and I'm like, Brushy, where are you? You know, Greg would do the tricks. He was kind of like the Tony Hawk of snowboarding. I mean, people just really gravitated to the backcountry. I liked Craig, but he didn't really care for me too much because I was a little shithead. Today we're talking to Dale Rayberg. First board I ever got was a Sim Switchblade. Uh, in 1987, the ones with the wood side walls, and uh, it was insane. I got it from my cousin. That was the beginning of the end, you know? As skateboarding overtook surfing as the biggest influence in snowboarding, thanks in a large part to improvement in snowboard bindings, skaters from all over North America started taking their passion into the mountains. In the early 90s, groups of skateboard-influenced freestylers were breaking away from the multidiscipline competitive landscape of snowboarding contests and building their own skateboarding influence features. Jumps and jibs quickly replaced halfpipes and slalom courses as the next generation of pro riders redefined everything about the young sport. Among the new faces was Dale Rayberg, who moved to Colorado, embracing his love of skateboarding and snowboarding. Dale grew up in Wisconsin, cutting his teeth as a three-event competitive water skier. That is true. I was a water skier well before I was a snowboarder. Yeah, I was pre-wakeboarding. So um, at that time, I mean, it was you were slalom skiing, jumping, or trick skiing. And then this funny little yellow board came along called the Scurfer. I think a couple people on our lake had one, and I tried it a couple times, and I thought it was super fun. You know, and we, we always tried to stand up on knee boards and stuff like that, but um, it was definitely pre any, like, techno- technologically advanced wakeboarding, for sure. Red. <laughs> In the early 90s, a small company called Joyride Snowboards took a brief run at becoming a major player in the shifting freestyle market. With progressive shapes and a solid graphic program, early Joyride boards are sought after by snowboard collectors today, partially because of the proliferation of the Joyride team in the magazines and snowboard movies back in the day. I asked Dale about getting onto the Joyride team summer of 1991 I graduated high school and went up to Mount Hood uh, when we graduated I went up there with my friend Roan and um, my other friend Tom Meyerhoff and uh, we were living up at Hood just kind of hood dogging it and screwing around and um, this guy Tom Nordwall saw me riding and I was riding for Burton at that time you know we rode all summer and he was always like dude sick right or whatever we broke down and then um, I went back home to Wisconsin when the summer was over for a couple weeks before I moved to Breckenridge and he contacted me. He's like, hey, we're starting Joyride. We want you to be on the team, and we want to you know, start this with you. And I was a little skeptical at first because I was with Burton, and I was, you know, had these high hopes I was going to be this Burton guy. And I ended up thinking about it for a couple weeks, moved to Breckenridge, and uh, I was hoping you know, that something bigger would happen with Burton at that time, and they weren't really doing anything for me fantastic other than product joyride was willing to so i was like you know what i'm gonna do this and um bailed burton and went to joyride with a couple other of a couple of my friends um roan rogers and nate cole and jake blattner all started riding joyride stuff right when they started and uh the flower pot board came out and i remember the day that they brought them over to where we lived we looked and we're like oh these things are sick but the nose and tails are so huge and like yeah this is our first board whatever and well that night we literally got out dinner plates traced circles on our boards and hacksawed the nose off these brand new boards 
<laughs> no one had even ridden them yet. Oh, my <laughs> and, God. And uh, they were pretty upset with that. But, uh, matter of fact, that was probably one of the changes of snowboarding. Cutting down boards became a thing. Snowboarders wanted less directional shapes and resorted to tracing twin shapes onto boards and cutting them down. Or even like Dale is talking about, cutting down the long nose and tails to create shorter boards with a lighter swing weight. And it wasn't always an easy process. Most times you had to cut through the middle edges with a hacksaw then jigsaw the rest of the shape. I remember my friend Chris traced out the shape he wanted and then used a drill along the line until he could break away the unwanted extra nose. It looked like complete garbage. MacDog's movie The Hard, The Hungry, and The Homeless that came out in 1992 is a showcase of what was happening at this exact time. If you watch the opening sequence, you'll see Jeff Brushy riding his directional trout board, some twin-tip Santa Cruz boards in the half-pipe at Mount Hood, and this crazy big jump with Dale and his Joyride teammates riding those flower pot boards they cut down. I believe that was at Peak 8 in Brackenridge, and they had that was where they had the freestyle ski jumps with that really steep landing, and it was the end of the year, and a bunch of dudes went up there and like cut the top of that jump off, and we all went up and sessioned it. Mac Dog was in town. We're like, let's go film this thing. And so it was this kind of big booter with a really steep landing. And that was probably some of the first, like, man-made kicker shit that was really going on. I mean, I'm sure everyone was building other jumps. I'd seen it for many years, but not specifically like that, you know, like yeah. the booter. I worked at the Canadian distributor for Joyride at that time, and we saw a bunch of warranty boards coming back as hitting jibs, logs, picnic tables, rocks, and anything else you could slide or grind became popular. So I imagine Dale would have gone through some boards. You know, I can't really remember. I'm pretty sure something would always break. I mean, at that time, it was like boards were breaking, bindings were breaking, boots were shredding. And, you know, the other problem with snowboards at that time is like the stances really wouldn't go much wider than 18 or 19 inches. And we all wanted a little bit more stout stance. So we were T-bolting things. And then you're getting like water in the cores and B-lambs. But it was the experimental era. So you just kind of dealt with it. You know, shit was always broke. You always had to, like, be toxing things together or piling a bunch of wax on something to make it work. But, you know, he didn't really complain about it. Dale's friend Roan Rogers was also a prominent pro at that time. Roan and I grew up since we were before kindergarten, like, since we were babies. And uh, me, him, and a couple other people started snowboarding and then got into the contest scene that was going on in the Midwest at that time and traveled around and met, you know, Jake Blattner and Nate Cole and Jeff and Joe Curtis and uh, Dave Hubach and all these other Midwest people. There was so many at that time, and we'd all kind of meet up at these contests and just have the best time ever, you know? And, uh, yeah, by the time high school came around, I was pretty much convinced it's all I wanted to do. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but that's what I want to do. So right after high school, Dale moved up to Breckenridge in Colorado. I guess Breckenridge kind of spawned from the magazines. You know, at that time, like, Breckenridge had the worlds, and you'd always see these rad pictures of Breckenridge and this halfpipe and these big events, and it just kind of looked like the place to go. For someone from the Midwest, obviously, we didn't really know about powder, so, you know, like Tahoe and Baker and those things were kind of an unknown to us, or at least me for sure. And Breckenridge seemed like a natural progression. Um, I'd gone out there all through high school growing up and on family vacations and stuff, so I knew it was a fun place. You know, the funniest part is we, you know, a bunch of us moved out there, and um, there wasn't even a half pipe. So we just uh, we just rode, and, and it was it was a great progression from the Midwest. It was a little bit flat and always icy, so it was 
a lot like the same, but just much longer. And so there's places to ride in Wisconsin. Oh yeah, there's tons of places, and I mean. I grew up in rural Wisconsin, yep. middle of nowhere, and there was four ski areas within an hour of my house. There was always ski areas to go to, you know, and they're yep. not big, like 400 vertical feet and whatnot. That's what you did, you know? And then that makes it that much better when you move somewhere big, I think. Yeah, your eyes are just, right? Yeah. You can't believe what you're seeing. You're like, oh my God, it's a whole new world, right? Your eyes are open. You're like, holy shit, look at all the possibilities now. Did you go from Joyride directly to ride? Yeah, yeah. Joyride lasted, um, my book, for about a year and a half. Like, we got through the fall and winter of 91, and then the summer of 91, then that fall, one of my buddies, Russell Winfield, was like, dude, you got to check this new company out. It's called Ride, and they got Jason Ford and me. We're building a team, and we want to have you and Roan, and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And I was kind of like, what? You know, I didn't really get it. So that kind of got dropped in front of my face, and... Um, at that time, you know, Joyride kind of blew up, man. We were in, you know, all the major videos. We were getting magazine coverage. It was like this progressive movement, but Joyride couldn't really even figure out what was going on. So we weren't even getting paid at that time. And so I think we asked for like 400 bucks a month, at least I did, or something. And it, you know, oh, we can't do it and all this stuff. And, you know, Ride came along and they went after, you know, the most progressive kids at that time. And gave us, you know, a comfortable little salary to live on. And, you know, for a dirtball kid, you know, 800 bucks a month is killer. Whatever it was, at that point, we were like, look, Joyride's dropping the ball. They're not helping any of us out. They're fucking it up. And Ride seemed to be very open to listening to ideas and wanting to make something progressive and new and fresh. And they had, obviously, money behind them to make something happen. And... I made the jump. I was like, you know, I'm fucking out. I'm going to go do this and be part of something with a bigger group of people and a little more structure. And uh, that was the beginning of it. I think it was 92. You went all the way through, you know, team rider, product developer, brand manager. Is that right? At Ride? No. At Ride, it was, um, I was just a team rider, but um, I had a lot of influence in the direction of the brand. I think the whole team did. Ride and Tim Pogue and Steph Pogue and... and those guys were so about listening to the team. They came from Burton, so they kind of knew that structure, but they did it better. They listened. So I just was a rider for them, but I helped create and conceptualize Capel Clothing, obviously helped them with all their board shapes, their marketing direction, their advertising campaigns, and all that as a rider. And 1998, things started to get a little bit wobbly in the industry, and I think Ride was public at that time, and it had gone, you know, shot way up and was, like, starting to crumble. And pieces were kind of falling off of the machine, you know. And um, they made a big internal restructure, and when they did that, I think Tim Pogue, like, lost a lot of his power. And all this shit happened, and basically what happened was, you know, myself, I think Cersei Wallace, I think Rocket Reeves, I don't even know, but a bunch of us our contracts are up and they're like, we're not renewing your contract. Right at the same time when Olympics and snowboarding were starting and Ride was all about getting Jeff Brushy on the program. So Brush came on the team. So I think they pretty much had to make room for that guy, which it is what it is. I mean, I'm great friends with Jeff and all that, but that's what happened. And at that point in my career, God, what was I, 28 maybe? I'm not keeping up with the kids. Like Peter Lyon, J.P. Walker, Jeremy Jones, all these younger cats are coming out and it's like, spinning off into this intense kind of, you know, cool way. But I, I was not keeping up and, and probably didn't really have interest in, in it. 
Right. So I tried to do the big mountain thing, did some Alaska trips with Ranquit and Farmer, and, and that wasn't my dish. And I was just like, okay, I need to figure out what I want to do. Right? I don't want to grovel. And, like, I could have made calls and probably went and wrote for somebody else at the time. But I was like, I need to, like, make a move. I'm 28. I need to make a move. It was over, you know? And I'm like, I'm moving on. I'm happy. I've traveled the world. I'm good. That's the next chapter. I actually started working for, it was called Straight Line. So Straight Line was a water ski rope manufacturer, and then they owned Silence, and I think Avalanche came into that mix. So it was kind of these two snowboard brands, this water sports brand, which is part of my background. And um, I started at the ground level there, and I was like, you know what, I worked in the warehouse, worked my way up into marketing, and uh, helped those brands as best I could, and learned a shit ton at that time, all just hands-on. And uh, that was kind of my entryway into the industry. Yeah, and then they bought M3, right? Yeah, few, from the yep. soy sauce guy. A couple of years after that, then M3 got in the mix, and then it got changed hands from Straight Line to another person, which moved me from the Pacific Northwest down to back to SoCal. That was in 2000, and I've been down here ever since then. Dale joined the Flow Snowboarding Company around 2010. Yeah, it's a great company, and it's um, it's interesting product that has a different story, which is always a challenge. That's the beauty of it, right? It's like trying to think outside the box and do things differently and keep kind of progression moving in a direction. So it's been a really fun road. Dale worked on one of my favorite snowboard series ever, which was the Timeless Boards by Ride. Yeah, that was my baby. I think it was me, Joel Mahaffey, and Brandon Ruff had the Timeless series, and we shared commissions on it. At that time, I, I thought pro models were whack, and I'm like, let's come up with a new way to do this and put groups of like-minded people from the teams on these series of boards and see how it works. So it was me and Joel and Brandon Ruff on the Timeless, and then Pat A and Chad Schnacky on the KX, KX. or something like this motocross. Yeah, yeah that motocross yeah, the board. KX series kind of spun this different angle and way to promote product via team without having pro models so it was a cool concept i think the timeless boards they just re-released that board last year i think ride did and last i heard it was one of their best selling series of boards i asked dale if he kept in touch with his old friends from the snowboard industry yeah i'm still friends with pretty much everybody from back in the day i haven't lost anybody yet you know we're all doing our own things these days and it's hard to see each other all the time but we're all the same dudes doing the same shit do you get to ride together sometimes yeah, not as much as I'd love to. I rode with Rowan at Jackson Hole two winters ago, which was insane. I haven't ridden with much of the other guys, but uh, again, I'm living at the beach, so it's hard to do that. Um, it'd be great if we could. Ride had a reunion a few years ago, and they brought all the original team up to um, Island Lake Lodge, and that was killer. They reissued all of our pro models on their new shapes and stuff, so that was really fun. But... Yeah, and you have kids and a family now? Yeah, I got two kids and a wife, so... I'm always busy. Yeah, you know what? My son is is pretty avid snowboarder when we go. He can totally rip around and go through the park and do his thing. My daughter has done it a couple times. She's still kind of transitioning from skiing and snowboarding. I want them to have that in their life, you know? Dale Rayberg's passion was one of the crucial ingredients that made snowboarding what it is today. A few dozen dedicated, hardworking pro snowboarders set the boot pack for the masses to follow. You know, you have your real, like, kings. I consider them, like, Terry and... All of the, like, real original shredders. And then you have this generation that kind of blended in, which was Palmer. He's part of that, but as he grew older, it was the Palmer, the Roach, the Rankwitz. Those guys who really, at least to me, I saw a vision of skateboarding in their riding. Like in um, New Kids on the Twalk, that was kind of the first time I'd ever saw someone really doing shit fakey and switch and backwards. But, yeah, we kind of 
I think, took that Midwest mentality, which was a completely different thought process, and put our own spin on it. And, you know, I wouldn't say we invented anything, but we kind of just took shit to that next step um, in a completely different way that nobody from Mount Baker or Squaw Valley would do because they didn't grow up riding fucking concrete ice, right? So you had this different concept kind of merging at one point. We, we did some cool stuff and made some advancements for sure in product and style. And it was kind of a perfect storm where the industry at that time was fucking just huge, right? And it was growing and, and they could put faces to it. Like pre that, it was hard, right? There wasn't a lot of knowledge about it. So there was shit tons of money and, you know, product innovation and marketing and all this stuff was just spinning, man. And, you know, it was a hot sport. Everybody wanted to do it. Well, um, hey, I appreciate you reaching out to me and doing this. Right on, dude. Thanks, Dale. Okay, man. See ya. Yeah, take care, buddy. Big thanks to Dale Rayberg for doing an interview with us. That was fun. And thanks to all of you for listening. It's been snowing like crazy up here, so I've been getting in some pow days. Super duper fun. Make sure to come back next week for another episode of the F and Rad Snowboarding Podcast. Brought to you by BR Productions.